0: In Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we read the following Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The mark of Israel's culture of failure could not be emphasized more than what we see at the start of the Samson account. Notice the continued sequence that we have been following together through the book of Judges. We see Israel's sin in the first half of verse one they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We see the judgment upon Israel in the second half of that verse the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. But what is missing? What's missing is that we do not see God's people crying out for deliverance. And up until now that has always been part of the cycle. In the past Israel Felt THE WEIGHT AND THE BURDEN OF POLITICAL AND MILITARY DOMINATION, BUT NOW THE ISRAELITES DO NOT CRY OUT BECAUSE THEY ARE PRIMARILY CAPTIVE SIMPLY TO CULTURAL ACCOMMODATION. IT IS A SPIRITUAL SLAVERY WHERE THEY HAVE ACQUIESCED TO THE VALUES AND THE IDOLS OF THE PHILISTINES. AND THAT PROVES FAR MORE DANGEROUS. MICHAEL WILCOCK EXPLAINS, THERE IS NO SUCH THING AS HARMONIOUS COEXISTENCE BETWEEN THE CHURCH AND THE WORLD. FOR WHERE THERE IS NO CONFLICT IS BECAUSE THE WORLD HAS TAKEN OVER. WHAT HOWEVER WE SHOULD FIND TO BE BOTH WONDERFUL AND SPELLBINDING IS THAT GOD RAISES UP A DELIVERER ANYWAY, AND IT ALL STARTS WITH A barren WOMAN. I need to point out something important here before we explore together Samson's life. First, we just studied about the barrenness of Jephthah's daughter last Sunday, a daughter whose name we never learn. What we do know is that she was a virgin dedicated to God at the tabernacle, and through her barrenness, God primarily saved Israel from within itself. And now we are overcoming um, the the barrenness of Samson's mother through God's mighty act. A a mother whose name we never learn. What we do know is that she is, is dedicating her son at his conception. And that through the gracious provision of the child God chooses to save Israel from outside itself. Only two sentences in the entire account of Samson which you can find in Judges 13 verses 24 and 25 provide any detail concerning his childhood. The author has no interest in detailing that. Instead he spends time in the 13th chapter focusing on Samson's birth story. And you see I can't help but see Christ in this. None of us deserves a savior, but God still sent his son to be born miraculously of a woman, not a barren one, mind you, but a young virgin who was devoted to him. The focus of Christ's life is not at all on his childhood either. We only find a few sentences in the gospels about that. Rather, the focus is on Christ's miraculous birth and on his earthly ministry. The INCARNATE SON OF GOD, FULLY DEVOTED TO THE WILL OF FATHER, CAME TO SAVE US FROM WITHIN AS WELL AS FROM WITHOUT. HOW WONDERFUL AND SPELLBINDING IT IS TO SEE THE REDEMPTIVE PLAN OF GOD WORKING ITSELF OUT THROUGH ALL OF HISTORY. THE THREADS OF THE GOSPEL TIED TOGETHER. Following Samson's birth chapter, the author spends his time dealing then with Samson's brief salvation story. You might say that Judges chapters 14 to 16 concern Samson's earthly ministry. So this morning I want to read to you how his ministry comes to an end, even as I discuss how it comes to that end. With this in mind, look now with me to Judges 16, verses 23 to 30. This is the word of our Lord. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. NOW THE TEMPLE WAS CROWDED WITH MEN AND WOMEN, ALL THE RULERS OF THE PHILISTINES WERE THERE, AND ON THE ROOF WERE ABOUT 3,000 MEN AND WOMEN WATCHING SAMSON PERFORM. THEN SAMSON PRAYED TO THE LORD, SOVEREIGN LORD, REMEMBER ME, PLEASE GOD, STRENGTHEN ME JUST ONCE MORE, AND LET ME WITH ONE BLOW GIVE REVENGE ON THE PHILISTINES FOR MY TWO EYES. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. When I taught college, I Um, had a course that I taught called Ministry Leadership. And during that class, I required my students to complete what I called a Personal Development Plan, or a PDP. The purpose for them was to assess areas of their life and ministry in which they especially needed to grow as Christian disciples. It involved reflecting on a number of things, but a few of those included their relational health, and their character health. Samson would have done well to complete a PDP for himself. Dr. Ralph Dell Davis says, the point should not be lost on any of Yahweh's servants. Awareness of our weakness is the beginning of safety. Samson's PDP would have revealed that he was impulsive and unteachable. In Judges 14, 1-4 we read that Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. Does that sound familiar? Right in their eyes. Hmm. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now some biblical scholars say that Samson was merely wanting a Philistine wife here in order to start an uprising against his people's oppressor. But that's simply not correct. It's not correct in light of the grammar of Scripture and it is not correct in light of the type of man that Samson was. AND YET GOD WAS GOING TO USE THE WEAKNESSES OF SAMSON TO PICK A FIGHT WITH THE PHILISTINES. IN THE LATE 1940S, A MAN NAMED EHUD AVRIEL TOOK THREE MONTHS TO FIND JUST THE RIGHT CARGO SHIP TO TRANSPORT SOME GOODS FROM YUGOSLAVIA TO HIS HOMELAND OF ISRAEL TO HELP HIS COUNTRY IN ITS EMANCIPATION. The boat that he found was a ship carrying 600 tons of Italian onions. Under those onions Avriel packed a large shipment of Czech rifles. Avriel knew that the British customs agents would not search long for anything amid something that smelled so ripe. What is the point? Simply this. SOMETIMES WE CANNOT SEE WHAT LIES BEHIND AND BENEATH GOD'S PLANS. AND MAYBE A FEW OF US NEED TO FIND COMFORT IN THIS. TAKE FOR INSTANCE CHRISTIAN PARENTS WHO HAVE FOUND THEMSELVES IN THE SAME SITUATION AS MANOAH AND HIS WIFE. THEY SPEND MUCH TIME PRAYING FOR, DIRECTING, AND LOVING THEIR SON OR DAUGHTER ONLY TO SEE THEIR CHILD MAKE DEVASTATING CHOICES. Yet, no one should forget verse 4, but his father and his mother did not realize it was from the Lord. What we do not know may yet prove to be our deepest comfort. As heartbreaking as things may seem at face value in the moment, who knows how God might ultimately work out a grander purpose. On the surface... All Samson's parents knew was that their son was unwilling to heed instruction. Not only does he not take advice, he never works with others at all. We are foolish. Indeed, we are foolish if we refuse to let anyone get close enough to see our spiritual lives for what they really are. We are foolish Again, I say we are foolish if we never receive counsel, encouragement, or accept accountability. A lone ranger mentality fractures relational health. As for Samson... HE FAILS TO ESTABLISH HEALTHY RELATIONSHIPS AND HEALTHY BOUNDARIES IN THOSE RELATIONSHIPS, ESPECIALLY WITH WOMEN, AND SUCH A LACK OF BOUNDARIES NEGATIVELY AFFECTED HIS INTEGRITY AND HIS CHARACTER. IF SAMSON SAW SOMETHING AND WANTED IT, HE NEVER EXERCISED SELF-RESTRAINT. SAMSON NEEDED TO HONESTLY ASSESS HIS PROBLEMATIC ADDICTION TO SEX, WHICH GREW MORE AND MORE OUT OF CONTROL. Have you ever noticed that uh, when we first are enticed to a sin, maybe there is a degree of conflict in our conscience, and, and yet once we get drawn into that sin, it becomes easier and easier to commit it over and over again. Perhaps we even become more brazen in it. There is no question that Samson's reckless patterns deepen. YOU SEE IT AT THE START OF JUDGES CHAPTER 16. HE GOES TO THE PHILISTINE CAPITAL ITSELF. HE GOES TO GAZA AND HE SLEEPS WITH A PROSTITUTE. SAMSON'S NAME LITERALLY MEANS LIKE THE SUN. BUT HE SUCCUMBS TO THE NIGHT IN THE ARMS OF WOMEN. And it will be through a woman named Delilah found immediately after his escapade in Gaza with a prostitute who exposes his secret to the Philistines. Samson uses Delilah to get sexual love. She uses him to gain a fortune for herself. It is pretty obvious that both individuals take from one another rather than give in the relationship. And it's not surprising, really. It is, in fact, something of a reflection of our own cultural patterns, isn't it? How common is it for men to pass over godly women based solely on outward appearances? AND HOW COMMON IS IT FOR WOMEN TO PASS OVER GODLY MEN BASED SOLELY ON THE SIZE OF A FINANCIAL PORTFOLIO. BUT IF SAMSON PROVIDED AN HONEST PDP HE WOULD HAVE ALSO ADMITTED THAT HE PLAYS GAMES WITH DELILAH BECAUSE OF HIS ADDICTION TO THE THRILL OF ADVENTURE. IT'S NOT JUST THE DRUG, IT'S THE HIGH. IT'S THE THRILL OF THE MOMENT. IT'S THE SENSE OF DANGER. And Samson had known the sense of danger. I mean, here's a man who killed a lion with his own two hands. And as a result of his raw strength, as a result of his always escaping consequences in the past, God becomes something of an afterthought to Samson. The more God blessed him, giving him strength to fight his foes, the more Samson grew. CONFIDENT IN HIS INVINCIBILITY. THUS FAR, THINK ABOUT WHY SAMSON HAS BEEN ABLE TO DO THE MIGHTY ACTS OF STRENGTH RECORDED. HIS LONG HAIR THAT Delilah CUTS WAS MERELY A SYMBOL. AND WHILE SYMBOLS MATTER, THEY ARE BUT A REFLECTION OF THE TRUE SOURCE. For instance, the symbol of baptism is a visible commitment. We can think of it as something like a Nazarite vow which sets us apart, but the substance of baptism is far more than that. It is our, our identifying with Christ and Christ's identifying with us. It is a sign and a seal of an abiding relationship. You see, Samson's long hair was part of a Nazarite vow that set him apart to God, but the source of his strength was always the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him in power. In chapter 14, verse 6, in chapter 14, verse 19, in chapter 15, verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him in power. And God's power, after all, is different from that of the world. It is the power of knowing that Jesus has promised, I am with you. Tim Keller says to be with someone is a Semitic phrase for relationship. And so what mattered was not so much that Samson's hair had been cut, but that in verse 20, it says the Lord had left him. THE LORD HAD LEFT HIM. A SENSE OF SELF-SUFFICIENCY AT THE EXPENSE OF A DEEPENING RELATIONSHIP WITH CHRIST WILL ALWAYS LEAD US DOWN A DANGEROUS PATH OF SPIRITUAL DEFEAT AND EMPTINESS. AND SO IT IS THAT SAMSON IS THE ONLY JUDGE IN THIS BIBLICAL BOOK WHO IS OVERTAKEN BY THE ENEMY. And yet, friends, isn't it wonderful that God's grace is always greater than our sin? Think on this for a moment. Why had God raised Samson up to begin with? Remember Israel, had never actually cried out for our deliverer. They WEREN'T HURTING, THEY WERE JUST WHORING. IN THIS WAY SAMSON HAS PROVEN TO BE MERELY A REPRESENTATION OF ISRAEL ITSELF. AND GOD WILL NEVER ALLOW FOR HIS PEOPLE TO REMAIN CONFIDENT AND COMFORTABLE IN THEIR SIN. NOT SAMSON, NOT ISRAEL, NOT YOU, NOT ME. But even more noteworthy than this is that the true contest of the Samson saga is not between Samson and the Philistines at all. Just like the true contest in our personal saga is not between ourselves and other peoples or other political parties. God raised up Samson to show us that the war was actually against Dagon the false god of Philistines, just like God raised up Jesus Christ to show us that our war is actually against Satan, the false god of this age. And so the Lord raises up a deliverer of great might whose strength will be made known through weakness. In fact, it is when Samson seems to have been defeated that his faith is clearly revealed and God uses him the most. It is worth our while to read from Hebrews 11:32 32 to 34. Yes, the great hall of faith chapter where the author writes, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Ah, there he is. And Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Ah, there it is. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, During the Civil War, word got out that General Grant had been drunk at the Battle of Shiloh. About 11 o'clock one night, President Lincoln received his friend A.K. McClure. He had come as a spokesperson for a large contingency of Republicans. The strong sentiment was held that Grant should be removed from his post because of his penchant for alcohol. As McClure himself later reported it, Lincoln remained silent for what seemed a very long time. He then gathered himself up in his chair and said in a tone of earnestness that I shall never forget, I can't spare this man. He fights. You see, he may look seedy, he may have trouble with booze, and popular opinion, might stand against him, but he fights. The one thing we can say about Samson is that he never forgets who the enemy was. He never rolls over and plays dead to the cultural wars like the once mighty nation of Judah does in chapter 15, in verse 11, and he does not quit. Even when tortured, humiliated, and bludgeoned, it is just now that he fights differently. Now he fights not in his own strength. Now he fights in the strength of God. You see, the Samson narrative begins with a strong man who is revealed actually to be weak, but it ends with a weak man who is shown to be strong. Indeed, the most triumphant episode of Samson's life comes in his death, strapped between two stone pillars. Samson prays in chapter 16, verses 28 to 30, for only the second recorded time. And now he calls out to Adonai, sovereign Lord, To Elohim, almighty God, and to Yahweh, the God who is and the God who saves. It is here that the image of Samson as God's appointed deliverer over Israel strikes me most and it should strike you most too. With his arms stretched out against the pillars which supported the shrine to Dagon, and with something of, and it is finished, Samson momentarily secured deliverance for the Lord's people by destroying the temple and a multitude of Philistines. Edmund Clowney says, God has shown that he could deliver Israel with an army of willing volunteers. He had shown also that he could save with as few as an army of 300. But when the Spirit of God came upon Samson, the Lord showed he had no need for even 300. He could deliver by one. By one. And I cannot help but see Jesus in this. The Son of Man perceived to be as Israel's weakest deliverer was unquestionably its strongest. With arms outstretched, nailed to an old rugged cross, Jesus cries out in John 19.30, It is finished. And then on those crossbars, those crossbars of wood, though what the world would perceive as weakness The strongest deliverer died to secure salvation for all who placed their trust in Him. Undoubtedly it is different because Samson is in the temple of Dagon as a result of his own disobedience while Jesus went to the cross because of His perfect obedience. And yes, it is different because Samson's death only achieved a limited role for which God had raised him up. Chapter 13 verse 5 says, to begin the deliverance of Israel. But Jesus' death, on the other hand, achieved complete deliverance. As Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And yet both Samson and Jesus were betrayed. Both Samson and Jesus were handed over to their oppressors. Both Samson and Jesus were tortured and put on public display to be mocked. Both died with outstretched arms. Both seemed to be defeated. And yet in their death, both crushed the enemy. The apparent triumph of Dagon with Samson on display was reversed. Just as the apparent triumph of Satan while Christ hung on a tree was reversed. Yet one more crucial difference between the Samson accounts and that of Jesus. You see at Samson's burial in judges 1631 it tells us that his rule ended. Samson was dead. <laughs> but not my Jesus. Amen. You see, his rule, his reign carries on beyond the grave. He's risen. And the question I must ask each and every one of you this morning is does he reign in you? Does Jesus reign in you? MAYBE THE ACCOUNT OF SAMSON SHOULD INSPIRE US TO COMPLETE OUR OWN PDP. MAYBE IT WILL CAUSE YOU TO TAKE AN INVENTORY OF WHERE YOU ARE PRONE TO THINK THAT YOU CAN GO IT ON YOUR OWN. YOU'RE DOING JUST FINE. OR TO TAKE INVENTORY OF WHERE YOU ARE PRONE TO IGNORE WISE COUNSEL. Or to take inventory of how you are prone to succumb to the addictions in your life. Or to take inventory of where you are prone to be overconfident in your own abilities. Perhaps it will open your eyes to how you are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it will open up your eyes to where you lack power of God in your life and in your witness. Perhaps it will open your eyes afresh to the paradox of the gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, For to be sure, Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in Jesus, yet by God's power we will live with him and are dealing with you. Atheist Richard Dawkins once mocked a Christian for his belief in Jesus. He, the Christian Dawkins said, believes that the creator of the universe, the God who devised the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics, the physical constants, that this genius of mathematics and physical science could not think of a better way to rid the world of sin than to come to this little speck of cosmic dust and have himself tortured and executed so that he could forgive. Hmm. You see, in the wisdom of the world, for self-reliant men like Dawkins, the cross is an argument against the Christian faith. But in the wisdom of God, for weak men like Paul, it's the very center of the Christian faith. And so, Charles Spurgeon sums it up well. It is not the power of the gospel judged after the manner of the flesh that is to conquer nations. But as in the Lord's case, the victory is to be won by weakness. And so it is when we are weak, when we see how desperate we are for Christ. Only when we are weak are we made strong. Pray with me. Lord, you teach us much from your word, but your word points us to one person. Your word points us to Christ. From the opening page to the end. It's about our need for Jesus. Because we might think we are strong. Oh, but we're not. We are not as strong as we think we are. And so today Christ, remind us, remind us of where we find strength. It is when we yield, it's when we submit, it's when we bend a knee at the foot of the cross and we look to you and we see in you strength, the power of God pour it out for us through your broken body and your bloodshed and yet the victory of being risen from the tomb. Oh, Christ, be glorified. Reign in me, I pray, Holy Spirit, work in our midst. For the glory of our King, Jesus, we pray, amen.